Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'm Anxious AF. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I speak with author Genesis Amaris Kemp about her latest book, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace, where she discusses her experiences of being black at a Fortune 500 company. After experiencing a radically toxic workplace, Genesis took to journaling, ultimately leading her to write her book, which, given the current state of race relations in America, is very timely. After the upswell of the Black Lives Matter movement, in response to the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so many others, many companies within corporate America were quick to jump on the we're increasing diversity at the top bandwagon. But few of us really knew what that meant. Genesis and I talk about what attempts at diversity look like from the inside, as well as the book writing experience and racism in everyday life, and why she refers to herself as a chocolate drop. Here's my conversation with Genesis Amaris Kemp. Hey everyone, it's Genesis Amaris Kemp. A little bit about me, I'm 29 years old, currently live in Houston, Texas, Caribbean descent. I've been working for this Fortune 500 company for the past seven years, had a lot of anxiety. One way that I channeled that anxiety was to write. So I started journaling again, and little did I know, a few sentences and a small little paragraph turned into a full-blown book. I am super passionate about inclusion and diversity, as well as equality and equity. And one word that people describe me is firecracker. And so what type of workplace have inspired you to write this book? The, I guess, the oil and gas industry and just dealing with a lot of toxicity in the workplace, like toxic people, hearing a lot of negativity, it just really brought the morale down. So when you wrote the book, it was sort of like flowing out of you. I remember reading in the book, by the way, it's called uh, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace, if you're interested in reading it. What's the experience been like for you when it came to writing the book? And how has the response been to the book since it's been out? Okay, so the experience writing the book was eventful, I would say, if I had to describe it. And the reason why I said eventful was I wrote the book in two months. So I went to work every day. And in the evenings, I would write. I At the time, I didn't have a laptop. So I wrote my entire book on my cell phone. And then coming to the end of my book, my publisher pretty much told me that I needed to get a laptop. So uh, my husband invested and purchased me a laptop, which was super awesome. Before I before I got connected to a publisher, what really jump-started me um, to writing the book was another author that I met at a local church here. So I went to this business group called The Lee, and there was a lady that I met. And I was just really drawn to her personality. And she was just so inspiring. And I was like, man, I wonder what she does and how does she do what she does? So um, after meeting her, I was like, hey, can I have your number? I would really love to, you know, form a mentor-mentee experience. So then I let two months go by. And then one day out the blue, something just told me to reach out to her. 
So I reached out to her and I said, hey, would you like to meet me at Starbucks for coffee? And it was at that meeting, her at Starbucks, I started to, you know, open up and she pretty much told me, oh my gosh, your writing is really good. Oh, you know, I just do this for fun, just to get get my thoughts out of my head on some paper. This is like, you know, just me, raw. And she's like, no, 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 you really should. And so one thing led to another, and she hooked me up with her publisher. So, like, I tell people, like, you know, I'm still a work in progress, trying to get back on, you know, stronger in my faith and spirituality. And it was during that connection that I literally felt like something inside of me just ignited and I knew that the time was right for me to tell my story it was the weirdest thing but then it was like a great moment for me because I really just started to open up and just pour out and then really pour in because I knew that there was someone else that really needed to hear my story so tell us a little bit about what your book's about and and some of your story Okay, so Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace, it's pretty much about my trials and tribulations that I endured in the workforce. So I started at the bottom. I started as an administrative assistant back in 2013. It Then I went back to school while um, working for this company. I was still in school, but I was a psychology major. So my very first manager told me, hey... I don't think you're going to go far with a psychology major here at this company. So if you change your degree, the company will pay tuition reimbursement. So at the time, you know, I'm young in my early twenties. I was like, Oh, okay, sure. So I changed my entire degree plan to supply chain and logistics technology. And then fast forwarding, once I finally graduated with my degree in December of 2016, I was like, okay, I went to my boss and I was like, I have my degree now. I want a professional role because I do not go to school to be an administrative assistant. So he's like, okay, we're looking. And you know how kind of like people just brush you off? So that's the type of vibe I was getting. And I'm like, oh, no, that that did not fly with me because I was like, you know, I'm like, I have my degree now and I want to use my degree and I want to be a valuable asset. So I started getting out there within the company, started networking, started doing step-out activities, which are things that are outside of your day-to-day job activities. Then I met one lady, and it just so happened she knew of a position that was available, but it was in in the chemical plant. I've never worked in the chemical plant. So I went to my boss again, and I told him, he's like, okay, we'll get back to you. Then after that, I just started being bold because I was like, I'm not going to have them keep me in a box because they had a saying, once an admin, always an admin. And I was like, by whose book? Not my book. Like, I don't want to be an admin forever. I didn't go to school to be an admin. So I just had to like jump through a lot of hoops. And sometimes I felt like it was due to systemic racism because I saw some of my other counterparts who don't necessarily look like me finally get their degrees and they immediately move from the admin or the tech bucket into a professional bucket. So I was like, what's the difference with me? Like I had previous oil and gas experience from a smaller company. I came to this company. I changed my entire degree plan. Now I have my degree and now you're telling me it's going to take a while, you know? 
So then I talk about like how my faith kind of kept me grounded during during these seasons and storms because there were days where I would be so mad. Like if I could turn red like a cherry tomato, I probably would be. Um, I was just like fuming and like it felt like someday steam steam could come out of my steam and fire could come out of my nose like a dragon. That's how mad I would be. It even got to the point where as soon as I was like pulling up in the parking garage, I would just roll my eyes. I was like, I don't want to be here. But I knew I had bills to pay. I knew I had to help my family and et cetera. So you know what? I just sucked it up and I just like really internalized it. And then I just went, um, I just started writing one day. It was after my performance review when they told me, hey, you're not due for another um, promotion until, you know, another year. You're, you're going to have to be here or whatnot. And I just kept getting the runarounds. And I knew that I was meeting metrics. I knew that I was, you know, making making the proper strides per the performance assessment, right? So everything on paper looked good. The feedback that I received from my peers were was exceptional. So I was like, what is it? So I just sat back one day and I, and I just literally wrote in my phone, chocolate drop in corporate America. And I wrote like how I felt about that day. And then, like I said, I met the right person at the right time and she hooked me up with a publisher and I, and I got my book published. But I, I tell people like when you're going through something in life, like you have to know where you want to go because so many times in life, people always ask us, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? But they never ask us, who do you want to be when you grow up? And I think once you know the who, that, you know, carries weight. And I think it's very fundamental that you have to be your own champion and champion your voice because opportunities aren't going to come to you. Like, you're not just going to, you know, wake up and someone knocks on your door and be like, hey, do you want to be the CEO? Or, hey, do you want to be a nurse practitioner? Or, hey, do you want to be a worldwide podcaster? No, you really have to own own your shit and, you know, just walk it out. And you just have to say, who cares what people think? Because I'm me and I know what gifts and talents I have and I know what I can bring to the table. So I started to act that way because I knew there was so much more in store for me. One of the quotes that I'm, that I got from your book that I really thought fit into what you were saying too, was, um, when you said to stop waiting for someone to co-sign your dreams, but to start running with passion in the time, the right people who genuinely care and want to support you will fall into place. And I think, you know, you, we see a lot of that in the book and a lot of what you talk about is being bold, you know, kind of just talk about how that came to you and how you sort of learned to do that. So, um, it had a lot to do with losing my, losing my little sister back in 2015. Um, she was my ride or die. I dedicated part of the book to her. Um, she was very bold. And after seeing her battle with lupus and you know how sometimes when you're faced with a, a sickness, a lot of people would say, why me? And said she didn't say why, like why her, like why Vanessa? She took it to another level and she started to embrace her gifts and talents and she knew that she was here for a purpose. So I start, I saw her being like really bold and et cetera. And that really just spoke volumes to, to me. And every time like I think about it, I was like, okay, if I'm going through something, there would be days where like we would talk on the phone, but now that she's not here, like I don't have that person to talk to anymore. 
And so I was like, you know what? I have to continue her legacy because if she were here, she would be rooting me on and she would be telling me, hey, use your voice, create your own platform and your own space. So I, I literally, it's so hard to explain. Like I literally could hear her some days talking to me as if she were here, if that makes sense. And I just knew that if I didn't wake up and smell the coffee and do it for myself and people that are coming besides and behind me, where would we be as a society? Because you have so many people who go through life circumstances, but they never tell their stories because they're so afraid of what other people would would say or think. But if they were bold enough to tell their stories, you can help someone navigate navigate their future by just, you know, launching out deep. And how would you say that anxiety itself played, does it still play a part in your life? And how did it play a part in your life in corporate America? Um, anxiety does play a part still. It, it comes and goes. It's not as bad as it was. But there would be days where like my heart was like racing or some days I felt like chest tightness. And it was just because I had so much like animosity, so much anger, so much hurt and pain due to the way that I was treated. And I think all of those emotions bottled up into one place was just not good mentally, physically, or emotionally. And now what what I'm learning is like, I can recognize the signs of anxiety. And like, when I start to feel like I'm getting in that uneasy spot, I'll either put on some music, some music that will make me feel good. I'll start journaling again, or I'll go for a walk. So just recognizing my body cues and how my body reacts to certain things is very key for me. And um, how it really played a part back then was I just didn't feel like myself. There were days where I would like literally be drained when I came home from work. I would literally take a shower and go to bed. And I was like, that's not like me because I went from a bunch of energy to coming home from work, going to work out, doing HIIT, which is high intensity interval training, to like just coming home and just sleeping. And I was like, I can't let that job steal my joy and take away who I am because Genesis is always going to be Genesis. But the minute that I don't, I can't let my light shine and someone's darkness becomes a problem. And so where are you at now with where we're at with COVID and where we're at as a society? Where, where are you mentally in all this? Mentally with my anxiety level, I would say about a three and I would say, because I have a really good support system, and um, my husband is very supportive. I can talk to him. I have some good girlfriends that we confide in, so there is like my safe, safe space. And then with me working remotely versus going to work, that has really helped me out tremendously because I can kind of control my day if it makes sense. Like I don't have to worry about an hour commute to get to work, an hour commute to get to home, finding a parking spot in the garage, walking to my office. Like, I don't have to worry about all of that. And I don't have to worry about being surrounded by a bunch of people in the workplace, not knowing where they've been because COVID is still out. And then having, you know, my elderly parents live with me, that's also another risk factor that I take into consideration. So I felt... And just being at home has really helped me with with anxiety. 
even though it's like a work from home now, do you think that with everything that's been going on with brands kind of coming in being like, we're going to make all these changes with diversity and we're going to hire more people and we're going to do this and that. Do you think that there's going to be a tangible change in the foreseeable future? Or do you think it's kind of an all talk sort of thing? I honestly feel like it's an all talk sort of thing because I feel like if you really want to make change with inclusion and diversity, don't just chunk out cash to people and just to say that you did it to build your brand. Actually go out to those neighborhoods where people live and see how they're living and put a grocery store there because there's a lot of um, communities that are, you know, within the poverty sector that don't have a grocery store. They don't have, you know, running transportation, so they have to take public transportation. The public transportation only goes so far, so then, you know, they're left without means. But then you hear these big old companies talk about, hey, we're giving, we're giving money to here, X, Y, and Z. But then whenever you think about diversity and inclusion, okay, are you recruiting at HBC, HBCUs? Are you recruiting at historically black colleges? Are you giving your money to communities that truly need it? Or are you just chunking money somewhere just so you could get a tax write-off and you could look good to your shareholders? Like, you know, I want to see the impact of the money that people are donating because sometimes I feel a lot of times companies just jump on the bandwagon to save face versus like actually getting out there and doing the grunt work, if that makes sense. No, totally. It just feels like there's a lot of social media talk and there's not a lot of action that goes with Mm -hmm. it. And it's been something that has been sort of frustrating to me just being like, put your, put your money where your mouth is. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then another thing that like really took me back is like, okay, we're talking about, oh, this whole diversity and inclusion training, but then whenever you're the only, like, I'm the only chocolate drop on my team, and you hear someone that talks about protesting and rioting, and they make a comment like, oh, if you see, if you see a big crowd of people, you should go the other way, because innocent people are getting pulled out their cars and beat. And I'm like, how can that be articulated with the safety conversation? I really felt like that was insensitive with me being the only African-American slash black person on the team to talk about protesting and rioting. That's not really a safety topic, especially if you're not going to talk about a place that is um, geographically you know, close to us. You talked about Chicago, Minnesota, and some other places, but you didn't talk about Houston. We worked in Houston, and if it was really about safety, you would have talked about, okay, how is our how is downtown Houston affected by the protesting and the riot or whatever? Or was this just your way to hear your frustration and how you felt? And one thing I would always tell people is, like, I'm very inclusive and diverse, meaning that Two of my nieces are half Caucasian. Two of them are half Indian. So we have a very diverse family. It's almost like the United Nations. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Between Indian, African, white, and whatever. Um, I feel like you have to really understand someone's culture, understand why they think the way they think, and why do they do what they do. And and you have to really level the playing field. But if if you want to talk about inclusion and diversity, but you're not trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes or you're not even trying to understand the why behind their actions, then can you really say that you're inclusive and diverse? Right. 
And you're already also being like, by bringing up the looting and the rioting and things of that nature, you're already putting this negative, you know, you're already making it sound negative when the whole point of the protesting is to make violence stop against black people. Yeah. Also, too, Chocolate Drop, where did that, obviously that's referenced a lot in the book and using white <laughs> chocolate and stuff like that. How how did that happen? How did that name sort of come about instead of using, obviously, black or African-American? So I wanted something fun and something that had a twist. And when I when I think of me, so many times people are like, hey, that black girl or that African-American. And I was like, you know what? I get sick and tired of being like that black girl or, you know, that African-American or that AA. I'm like, you know what? Why don't I make it fun and, you know, call myself a chocolate drop because that's what I am. Like, you know, the outside of my skin is brown and it kind of reminds me of a Hershey kiss. So I was like, okay, chocolate drop. And then vanilla drop. I was like, okay, that's another word for Caucasian because I hate how people just say, oh, you know, redneck or cracker or whatever they, they may say. Because so many times, like, people put labels on other races that are so offensive and derogatory, and you don't know where those labels originated from. So if you don't know the meaning behind it, then don't use it because you never know how that is affecting another person, whether they vocalize it to you or not. And um, I don't know if you look, you saw the cover of the cover of the book. My book really, um, the cover shows inclusion and diversity because I have people from all races on the book cover. I have people from all industries because systemic issues don't just happen in corporate America. They can happen in the medical industry. They can happen in finance. It can happen in the tech world, construction, or whatever the case may be. And it doesn't just happen to African Americans. It can happen to people who are LGBTQ. It can happen to people who are Asian, people who are Hispanic. But we have to be open to talking about the situations that we endured because that's the only way that we're going to move forward as a society. And then there's a world in the background to let people know it doesn't just happen in America. It happens worldwide. Sometimes people just don't always talk about it. And so you have to be that bold one to talk about it. And when we talk about diversity too, I feel like if you just hire one person, that's not white people are like, Oh, that's diversity. It's not. No. (laughs) (laughs) The true meaning people just like to use it as like a buzzword. I feel like, especially like in a corporate environment, I don't know if you agree, but. I, I do agree because sometimes people, they'll just get a hand view of people. Oh, we're just going to get this amount of Hispanic, this amount of Latinos, this amount of Asian, this amount of Middle Eastern, this amount of whatever, you know, to just check the box to show that they're inclusive and diverse for their shareholders. But then you're only doing the bare minimal that you have to in order to show on paper that you're inclusive and diverse. However, whenever you look at those employees and you do like a denizen survey or whatever, how fast are those employees progressing in comparison to a Caucasian person or a white person, however you want to say it? And if you don't see those minorities progressing as fast, fast enough as the non-minority race, then there's an issue there. Because it shows that, okay, you have it on paper showing that you're inclusive and diverse because you did the bare mineral, but you're not willing to promote promote those individuals. They don't have a proper career or succession planning, 
And, you know, some of them just come into a company and they're pigeonholed there. And I was like, that's not right. So inclusion and diversity isn't just about hiring people that necessarily don't look like you. It's also about promoting those individuals, educating them throughout the company, and giving them, you know, certain roles. Like, don't just hire them as the bottom of the um, company chain. You need to hire some at the bottom, some at the middle, and some at the top. Because if you look at certain um, corporations, does their leadership board look inclusive and diverse to you? No. And so I'm like, how can you have full representation when all the people who are on the board look exactly like you? There's not going to be a healthy discussion because you have so many people who just kiss each other's asses or they're part of a clique or the good old boys club. And how is that going to drive change? Yeah, I think when someone mentioned to me that a lot of companies have, they're they're not putting anyone not white basically in positions of power. And just that dynamic alone is already an uneven playing field, like you were saying. And uh, you talk about in your book too, about changing your courses and getting like a whole new education to to do a different position. And you just constantly kept being stuck while you're watching other people progress up the chain. And it's definitely not the first time anybody's heard that story, but, and it happens so frequently and the changes aren't happening. And do you see any sort of shift? Have you seen, has there been any positive light for you sort of in all this? So after my book came out, cause my book came out in May, um, then the George Floyd incident happened like shortly after. So I was called on during a meeting with the vice president. He put a group of us together, the group that he said identified with African-American or black. And there was less than 30 of us. I can't give the exact number because it's proprietary information, but more, it was more than 10, but less than 30. Mm. And he started calling on each one of us. Out of that group, there was, I think, either two managers and two supervisors out of that group. So I'm like, oh, wow, there's only four total in a management type role. And then he came to me and he asked me what I thought. And I so I gave him some tangible examples of what has happened to me while working for this company, as well as some examples that happened to me outside of work. One example was outside of work. I'm in the grocery store with my niece and nephew who are biracial. My sister's kids are half white. Someone came up to me at the grocery store in Kroger's asking me, whose kids are those? Because they don't look African-American. My niece has like dark sandy blonde hair kind of, and my nephew has Corbin blue type of hair. And you know that visual, the guy that was on the Disney um, show. So I was like, first of all, this is my niece and nephew. And then I was so agitated. I didn't even want to answer the damn lady. I just wanted to tell her, mind your flipping business and let me go about my day. Um, Another time, the same thing happened, except with my brother's kids. They're half Indian. One is very fair skin. One is very dark. But they have, you know, features that don't look African-American. Someone asked me the same thing. Oh, wow, those are some beautiful kids. Whose kids are those? I'm like, seriously? I'm like, okay. So I guess ignorance is bliss in America. Um, so I kind of just, you know, just shrugged it off and just kept on walking. 
Another example was um, me and my husband were driving out of town. A co- I was driving. A cop stopped me, and then he asked for my driver's license and information. I gave it to him. Once he went to ran my information, he saw that I was working at this particular Fortune 500 company, and my husband um, was working at, at a good company at that time. And he said, oh, wow. So he started asking us about our jobs as if we weren't educated or, you know, if we didn't have the correct credentials to be working at those companies. So that was like, that was what really opened my eye up. Well, I started at this company in 2013 from an admin. Here I am in 2020. I'm doing the work of a professional, but you guys are paying me as an administrative assistant. I was like, this is not right. And I pretty much just laid it all out on the table because at this point I was like, I don't give a freak, a freaking Franken pickle at this point because I was already like mentally and emotionally checked out. And then a week later, all of a sudden my salary increased by 20%. After my supervisor told me that I wasn't due for a promotion for two years and I wasn't due for a salary treatment for two years. But it's so weird that I expressed myself in the meeting with the vice president after he called on me, then all of a sudden, like, boom, my salary increased. And then when I told my, when I had this conversation with HR about it, I was like, you know, I feel like you guys are, are really just trying to clean up house and you only gave me a salary treatment due to the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And she's like, no, no, that's not, that's not the reason. I don't want you to think that. And I was like, well, it's so coincident that it just happened like that. Because I had even went back and looked at my performance review where um, my supervisor and her manager signed off that said not uh, will not be able to compete with the MPT, which is managerial professional technical, not ready and does not exhibit the skills. And that was recently. Recently, I got that performance review and feedback. Then all of a sudden, things just changed like that. I'm like, I'm not dumb. So since then, where where has it been now? It's improving a little bit up until we had that up until we had that conversation that my um, coworker gave about the protesting and the rioting, and then my supervisor gave me a sly remark. Oh, you should be grateful that you got a twenty percent increase during these times, and just like little comments like that, it does not feel genuine, and it honestly, like my gut feeling feels like it only happened due to the whole Black Lives Matter movement and for them to save face and show that they're cleaning up house. And then sort of what's been keeping you in in this field? What's sort of been stuck? Is it is it been like a financial thing or has it been if you had a passion for this type of work? Is there something that you're looking to do more now? Well, uh, what's really been keeping me is just the stability and the financial piece because with the whole COVID, my husband, you know, lost his job. So I was like, okay, my husband's lost his job. We're down to one income. And then I'm helping with my parents right now financially. So I was like, okay, that's one reason why I stay. And then with the whole book, like I want to, I want to make a leap, but I want to make sure all my ducks are in a row. So if you ever hear people say, never put all your eggs in one basket. So pretty much what I've been doing recently is diversify diversifying myself so I came up with my three R's refuel refocus and realign so my refuel was the book my refocus is what do I want to do next so I've been more vocal and speaking on platforms and other speaking engagements 
and my realignment is going to be part of my recalibration. Like, what steps do I need to take in order to set me up for a secure future where I can walk away from the nine-to-five toxic environment? But I don't want to jump ship until I have everything lined up, if that makes sense. And do is writing now becoming more of your passion? And do you want to sort of write more about this topic in the future? Yeah, it's uh, writing is definitely a passion of mine. Um, writing about this topic in the future may come, I think, with for my second book, I want to do something along the lines more so of my dad's story of what he endured coming to America and how, like, from his perspective, how he endured racism and et cetera. I was thinking about doing that. Um, just really uh, praying about where, where to go with the next book because I have some ideas there. I just haven't really nailed that one yet. And how has, you know, you mentioned a lot about sort of finding your path and, and religion sort of playing into a lot of your book and a lot of what we've been talking about. And has that, did that start from a young age and sort of going to church or did your trust in, in that path sort of increase as you sort of went through corporate America and went through life and that sort of thing? Oh yeah. So at a young age, my my parents are very religious. Like my dad went to seminary school. My mom grew up Lutheran, which is kind of like, it's the same as Anglican. So very strict. Um, in high school, I kind of lost, uh, lost my way where I didn't really believe, believe in God that much. Um, then I got in a major car accident in 2009. So like right after I had graduated high school where my car had, spun around three times and hit the concrete barricade and I could have died instantly but luckily I had a seatbelt on and the ambulance and the paramedics and everyone um said oh it was a miracle that I lived so I was like oh wow so then I started to regain my faith back and I knew that it was some like god or guardian angel that really had me covered um another thing was seeing my little sister battle with lupus and how she increased her faith that just really gave me hope and then I have a really good friend who was my old boss like before I started working for this particular company I am now she started inviting me to church and telling me how I should get back and you know that helped me with with my faith and you know just working for in the oil and gas industry and going through different down downturns and down cycles where people are getting laid off and you wake up and you're not sure if you're going to have a job one day. And then you're that lucky person that gets to keep their job. That helps me with, you know, with my faith. And there's other little things that play into it that may seem superficial to some, but like I always tell people, if you don't know, just if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I tell people like, you know, I'm an imperfect person trying to perfect myself daily. And this walk is a marathon and it's a journey. So some days there's going to be highs and other days there's going to be lows. But the most important thing is to get back up and, you know, keep going. And when you don't know, like, it's okay to reach out to someone who is strong in their faith to maybe give you some guidance. And then you could reassure yourself with like opening the Bible or whatever you read, like, you know, for yourself. Is there anything else that you want people to take away from our conversation? Yes. 
I definitely want to read the dedication section of the book because I definitely want to give the listeners a full picture of who I dedicated the book to and show the versatility of it. So, to Vanessa, my spiritual angel, my ride or die, my bestie, my little sister, even though you aren't physically here, I know you are smiling down from heaven. Your legacy and impact will always live on. This is for you and future generations to come. Chocolate Drop in Corporate America is also dedicated to every admin who was told they would never get out of the box. The one that the corporation places around you because they don't recognize your value and can't see past general administrative tasks. Admins, you are more than just an admin. Use your current situation to catapult you to your rightful platform. To every minority who has struggled to find their rightful place in corporate America or any industry, I dedicate this book to you as well. You are the ones who have to constantly fight for a seat at the table, work twice as hard even to be seen and noticed, and feel invaluable as if you are just a number to the corporation. Eventually, you find that one divine connection who can see your worth. Only then do you get a breakthrough. To every business professional in all walks of life, you are not forgotten. Everyone has faced and endured various trials and tribulations that can be spoken about, some of which were unfair, while others you turn from a negative into a positive. You have been emboldened to launch out deep and walk into your destiny, purpose, and calling. To those who are willing to take off the blinders, do some self-reflection, and work on creating lasting change in the workforce, know that if we do not speak up, stand up, call out unconscious biases, and work on changing the mindset of those ignorant individuals, then we are only regressing instead of moving forward in society. Let's all come together and work collaboratively to make lasting impacts. Lastly, I dedicate this book to everyone who has a dream not to let people or things keep you in bondage. Follow your heart, share your story, travel, and be the best version of yourself. Someone needs you to pass the baton, be their voice, narrate their story, or partner with them to create a revolution of opportunities. So as you can see in the dedication section, my first cause is my little sister and just keeping her, her vision and hope alive. Like I said, I'm passionate about the Lucas organization. Also to every admin, I always tell people, never forget where you came from because that's a part of who you are and that's a part of your history and your legacy. To every minority, like no matter what color you are, if you're a chocolate drop, if you're a caramel drop, if you're if you're whatever, like you're important just as the next person. Then to all business professionals, because I think it's important to call that call in allyships because when we partner our assets with someone else, we make extraordinary experiences. Then I also wanted people to take off the blinders because so many times People are so quick to jump on the bandwagon of other people instead of igniting their own voice and standing up for what's right. So it was just very versatile. Like I try to hit every single, you know, every single, you know, group, every single pocket, because I want to let people know just because the title may be controversial does not mean that this book is not for you. Absolutely. And then I also wanted to 
to tell the listeners, if they wanted to reach out to me, they could find me on Facebook at Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, and Kemp, K-E-M-P. I could always be reached at on Gmail at GenesisAmarisKemp at gmail.com. And I also have a book page on Facebook, which is the name of the book, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. That, my next question was going to be your social media, and you just did it. So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> no worries. I was just also going to share like two good reflection quotes because you, you dropped some good ones earlier. So one quote is stop waiting for your company to change the way they treat you. Instead, start looking for other opportunities or ways to capitalize on your God-given talents and skills. And then another one is, if you have a dream and vision to achieve something, then you have the power to do it. Keep the determination and continue to run your race. You may fall or even fail, but that that doesn't mean you can't achieve greatness. Get back up and press forward. I actually want to add this one too. People will always try to talk you out of something they were afraid of doing, or didn't think they could achieve themselves. Nevertheless, your race is for you and no one else. And that really stood out to me. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. Um, So again, the book is called Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace. I really do appreciate you opening up and talking to me. It was really, it's been really nice chatting with you. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate it. That was my interview with Genesis Amaris Kemp. These conversations are so important, and they have to be had now, especially in the times we're living in. Actively bringing these issues to light will help to drive tangible change in both the workplace and in our society. I want to thank Genesis for opening up to me, sharing her story, and speaking her truth. If you're interested in connecting directly with Genesis or picking up a copy of her book, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace. All of those links will be in the description box for this episode. As always, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You can also stream every episode on anxiousafshow.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at anxiousafshow. And you can email us at anxiousafshow at gmail.com with guest suggestions, comments, or stories of your own. This episode was edited and mixed by Angelique Ibera, with production assistance from Matt Laurie. Music from Garrett Rose. You can find his work at garrettrose.com. And I'm Sarah Carlin, your anxiety-ridden host. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.